Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another very late, very late, I really apologize, post-game live here for the 2023 NBA playoffs here on Dime Dropper. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube and hit the notification bell so you know every single time I go live or post a video. And of course, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. And you can also follow this channel on Spotify, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, whatever you do to listen to your podcast. Obviously, the Lakers, Grizzlies on the agenda tonight. Then the Celtics and the Hawks. I promised you guys I would talk about them, and I'm really happy I watched the game because I've got to talk about Boston and what they're looking like right now because, in my opinion, I think they're ahead of the pack of the league right now. And then lastly, we're going to end it with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Denver Nuggets, what proved to be an actually entertaining game tonight in Game 2. As I take a look at the live chat, obviously it's going to be a much quieter night 134 local time here in Los Angeles, but happy to see some people still loyal Dime Dropper fans in the live. Super chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar a dime. Any donation helps, but I won't be talking about the Bucks and the Heat. I did not even get to watch a second of it. I heard no Giannis, and they still scored 138 points, so maybe I'll just take a look at the box score. I'll try to watch some of it, like the first three quarters. On Thursday, but I don't know. And then obviously on Thursday night, you will not be getting a live. I will be at the game. So you'll be getting a vlog, an episode of Locked On Clippers. And by the way, go subscribe to that channel if you haven't yet. So please do Locked On Clippers. We're trying to build there. And I'm almost at 3,000. I'm 22nd out of 30 in terms of Locked On NBA hosts now. I started out at dead last because I was taking over a channel with 250 subs. Now we're at over 2,500. So prices are going up in Clipperland. And yeah, let's get to it. The Lakers and the Grizzlies. So the Lakers, I thought, you know, we heard the news that Ja Morant wasn't playing. So now you got the Grizzlies down. Ja, Brandon Clark, Steven Adams. And the, the Lakers, you know, they had an opportunity here to take the game to Memphis. To really just put their foot on their neck as Shaq and Chuck were talking about before the game. No nonsense. They came out so lackadaisical. Lazy passes. D'Lo passed up a wide open, you know, shot on the drive and the pick and roll. LeBron took about two really bad threes that he didn't need to take. You know, one with Xavier Tillman draped all over him. AD, I like the way he started out aggressive, but he just like, for example, first time he caught the ball, he's got Dylan Brooks on him in the post and he settles for a jump hook outside the key. You can get a little deeper positioning than that. And then you know, I thought Memphis, you got to give them credit. They came out with the hunger, the intensity that they needed. And I thought it was going to take a big game from Tyus Jones for them to get a W. But he was actually pretty quiet in terms of his shot making. I mean, 
4 for 11 and 0 for 5 from 3. Like, yeah, he had 10.6 rebounds and 8 assists. And something that everybody says, and it does have some validity to it, is that the offense seems to flow better when John Morant doesn't play at times. Like, Tyus Jones, you know, he moves the ball well and kind of gets everybody involved. But in this game, I think the Lakers kind of dodged a bullet in that way that he wasn't hitting shots because he got a lot of good looks. Now... As far as the Lakers, I thought LeBron actually brought it tonight. I thought he was good. I thought his defense was pretty good. He, granted, he was letting some play, people shoot, just not even guarding them, like David Roddy and Dylan Brooks, but that was part of the game plan. So overall, I thought LeBron so far in these first two games, his defensive activity has been pretty good. He's been you know, waiting for the offensive player to turn their heads, and when they're driving, he'll come out of nowhere for that chase down block, help defense. And overall, I think his on-ball defense, when called upon, has held his own for the most part. So I think LeBron, and one thing you're seeing from him that's interesting is that he's really not been ball dominant in the pick and roll. He's really just standing on the wing when D'Lo's got the ball in pick and roll a lot and then isolating from the post and isolating on switches. You're not seeing him do a bunch of pick and rolls and be on-ball as much. And I think partially that's something I've been critical of him over the course of his career where I feel like at times he's been too ball dominant. But now I think he's obviously matured. He knows that he's not, he doesn't have, he can't carry that much of the load all the time. It's not smart for him at this age. And he's got Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell with him, two very solid pick and roll ball handlers that have shown to be capable. But in this game, you really only got LeBron, Rui Hachimura, and Austin Reeves making shots. And Austin Reeves, you know, he was five for 12. LeBron was 12 for 23. Rui Hachimura was 7 for 12. I want to calculate what everybody else was. So just give me one second. 4, 7, 11. Okay, 11 made field goals out of 37 shots. So a little quick maths. <laughs> 11 divided by 37. That's less than 33%. 30%. So the rest of the team shot 30% outside of those three guys. It was kind of similar to the Clipper game, but not really because Anthony Davis didn't shoot well. And here's the thing about AD. His defense was phenomenal. He was still incredible, but offensively, you know, he wasn't handling those doubles really well. I think he wasn't working out of them quickly enough. And, you know, you got to give credit to Jaron Jackson. He was guarding him a lot more this game than Xavier Tillman. Xavier Tillman was guarding Jared Vanderbilt, and it worked out perfectly fine for them. Um, so expect to see that in game three with Jaron Jackson continuing to guard Anthony Davis because he still is the defensive player of the year. He still is a great shot blocker, great just defender in general, going to deter shots, and you'd rather have him than Xavier Tillman, who, by the way, had the best game I've ever seen him play in his career today. I mean, he was amazing. Xavier Tillman, Luke Kennard, these other guys stepped up, you know, and let's just start with the way the game went. Um, the Lakers just came out lazy, turning the ball over, not taking very good shots. D'Lo, for example, passed up a wide-open floater. And one time, you know, Vanderbilt, he shot 1-3 in this game, right? He missed the open shot. It was in the first quarter. After that, he cut to the basket on that D'Lo pick-and-roll that I'm talking about. And he was pretty open. But, you know, if you give the ball to Vando, he's going to go up against the big at the rim. He could have stayed out there in the corner, but he actually has been really good in that dunker spot until tonight. 
I think he's been pretty good, but he showed a lot of indecisiveness, and Vando looks very unconfident when he gets the ball down there, or just in general. He looks like he doesn't want to shoot. He looks pretty hesitant to score. And I'll tell you what, when you got a guy that's as good at showing, recovering, or contesting, and then going back for the second jump as Jaron Jackson Jr., it can get in your head a little bit. And right now, I think it has gotten in Jared Vanderbilt's head just a little bit. You know, LeBron in that second half gave him a couple nice passes right around the rim, and there was one time where he went up and just got stuffed. And then the next time, he was hesitant. So, And it was causing turnovers, killing possessions for the Lakers. So just a bad start offensively. And I don't think that they got much from their bench either. The Memphis Grizzlies, you know, they started out aggressively on both ends of the floor. They were playing hungry. You had Dylan Brooks guarding LeBron. You had Xavier Tillman playing help defense. And, you know, LeBron and AD pick and roll was getting switched. So they were snuffing that out, Memphis, between Dylan Brooks and Xavier Tillman. Xavier Tillman, or Jaron Jackson, whoever it may be, Xavier Tillman would guard LeBron, and LeBron wasn't taking him off the bounce. He was settling for threes, and Dylan Brooks was showing enough strength to deter AD or get double teams, and the Grizzlies' defense was doing a really good job rotating. So the LeBron AD pick-and-roll didn't really work like that. The D'Lo AD pick-and-roll was okay, I think Austin Reeves seemed to have the most success. But the the key is, if you're the Lakers, you got to put guys like Tyus Jones, John Morant when he's healthy, Luke Kennard in the pick and roll when they're in. Jaron Jackson is really good in drop coverage. And when he's got Xavier Tillman behind him in that back line and you don't really have to worry about Vando as a spacer, they're athletic enough to kind of guard two at once in that situation. So that's the thing about Memphis and what they do defensively. And it's kind of bothering the Lakers a little bit, especially when Vando's in the game. And that's part of why Rui Hachimura has gotten so much success so far in this series because he can stretch the floor at that four spot. You can run him off the line. He steps into the mid-range, and defensively, I think he's been really solid as a Laker. Yeah, he's not the best laterally moving his feet. I don't think he looks very good at the five because he's not a five, but at the four, I think he's done a good enough job of guarding guys one-on-one, using his size to not get pushed over, and just add size to a Laker team that was too small in this first half of the season. But in the first quarter, it was all Grizzlies. You know, Xavier Tillman made two left-handed jump hooks. Left-handed jump hooks, and I thought a play in the first quarter that really turned momentum was when D'Angelo Russell threw the ball in after David Roddy had made a three, threw the ball in lazily under his own basket. It was a steal, and then he ran at Nuketown for a three-point contest, and it was a four-point play. And you got to give the shout-out to the Teddy Bears crowd. I hate him with all my guts, but they were loud, and that's a tough place to play. As Clipper fans know better than anybody, if you know you've been a Clipper fan for more than 10 fucking years, Sorry, you young Clipper fans. <laughs> that was a fun time, man. I still have my hate, a lot of hate in my heart for the Teddies. But the Lakers down 30 to 19 after the first quarter. Jaron Jackson Jr. played good defense. The team played great defense. The Lakers defensively, not so great. And one thing I thought that the Grizzlies figured out was to put Jared Vanderbilt in the pick and roll. Because with D'Lo guarding Tyus Jones, because they're not going to switch D'Lo on the Jackson. So that means Jared Vanderbilt, who's a power forward, is going to play drop coverage, and that is pretty food for Memphis, whether it be Tyus Jones getting in the lane, or if you want to overhelp, that leaves people for threes. Now, as the game went on, and in the second half, you saw the Lakers funneling it to certain guys that they wanted to shoot, like Roddy, like Dylan Brooks, like Aldama, like even Tillman. But overall, I think the Lakers didn't have the offense tonight 
to get the job done. And in the second quarter, I thought a guy that came in and shocked me, straight up shocked me, was John Conchar. This white boy got 14 minutes, and I'll tell you what, you can't see in the stats only two points, two rebounds, three assists, but one steal and two blocks lets you know the story. He blocked Anthony Davis on a dunk attempt, and I could not believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe it. Got a couple of offensive rebounds too. Let me check again. Yeah, two offensive rebounds. One of them against, I think, Beasley that wasn't boxing out. And another one I forget. But you got to give him credit. I thought he gave them some really solid minutes off the bench. And in the non-AD lineup, so the Lakers are going with no center. They're playing Rui at the five, obviously staggering LeBron and Anthony Davis. And those Rui at the five lineups defensively, I mean, the Lakers just cannot really get stops without AD. And Desmond Bain, who was not good in game one, was better in this game, but his shooting percentage was still shit. Only 33% from the field and one for six from deep. So Desmond Bain, sorry Laker fans, but he's due for a good shooting night. He really is. And I got to tell you, Austin Reeves, he's part of why he hasn't been playing well. He has defended extremely well fighting over these screens. So I got to give a shout out to AR-15 for that because Desmond Bain is no joke. But when he got into the mid-range area in the stretch at the beginning of the second quarter in those non-AD minutes, he started heating up a bit. And that's when the Grizzlies started taking, like, what, a 16-point lead or something? But, and also, DB finally hit two mid-ranges after bricking left and right. Just left and right. Because Beasley, who actually was two for four in this game, making some shots. But defensively, he doesn't have a very high defensive IQ. He's often involved in miscommunications. He doesn't really offer much resistance, whether it be on the ball or fighting over screens. Just not much there. And I thought Troy Brown, 11 minutes played, he really was just getting some cardio out there. You know, a donut for him, 0 for 1. And you know who else was only getting some cardio? Dennis Schroeder. A game where he was just uninvolved. 16 minutes, 0 for 3 two turnovers and a donut, and he was minus 13. And look, Ham went away from him. So for all the people that have criticized Darwin all season, you know, he only played him 16 minutes. Outside of Rui Hachimura, the Laker bench didn't give him anything. You know, only an eight-man rotation, really, with Beasley, with Dennis. I'm sorry, it's a nine-man rotation. Beasley, Dennis, Troy, and Rui. Rui's the only one that came in, was knocking down shots. And I'll tell you what. Rui Hachimura knocking down shots, it really kind of was weathering the storm. They needed that. It was threes, mid-ranges. He can step into the midi. He can post up smaller guys. I love his bag, and it's just a shame. You know, Washington Wizards announcing that Tommy Shepard is is getting dismissed as the GM. A good pick. I'm pretty sure that was in his reign. A good pick, Rui Hachimura, that they went to waste. A guy that can post up, guy that can hit the mid-range. He doesn't have a very good handle. He's not very quick off the bounce. He's more of a two-level scorer, like a Marcus Morris type, but he's athletic. Actually, you know what? That's kind of harsh because even though he's not taking guys off the bounce to the rim, he could finish around the basket by catching the ball deep enough, and he did that a couple of times in this game. But LeBron, towards the end of the second quarter, he was starting to shoot, starting to hit a little bit. Um, I liked his aggressiveness. wasn't even that aggressive in the first half, if I'm being real. And he was just, just kind of shooting a lot of threes, though, a little too three-happy. Uh, and Nuke Kennard, speaking of three-happy, a guy that can be three-happy, he was in everything, hitting everything. And AD was one for nine at the half. The Grizzlies were up 15 at halftime. So in my opinion, the Lakers put themselves in an unnecessary hole by not coming out with that hunger, that attention to detail. They were too sloppy. And Memphis was obviously playing with desperation. And you should expect that from a young team that, you know, 
barks a lot. Let me just put it that way. Second half, though, tale of two halves. Totally different Laker team, and it starts with their defensive intensity. D'Angelo Russell stepped it up. LeBron James stepped it up. Anthony Davis was amazing. He was just, I mean, he's been blocking so many shots so far in this series. He's looking like fucking Bill Russell out there. Five blocks for AD in this game. I believe he had six in the first one. So he's averaging five and a half blocks a game, if my numbers are correct. In this series, that's insane. The amount of shots he's altering is amazing. I mean, he was dominating in that drop coverage in that early third quarter. And you started to see even LeBron, Austin Reeves, D'Lo moving their feet. Vanderbilt, of course, on defense, you know what you're going to get. He's going to fight over screens. He's going to have really good help defense. He's good in the passing lanes. And the Lakers were making guys like Tillman, Brooks, Roddy, Aldama shoot. Dylan Brooks was off. Aldama was 0 for 3. But Roddy did hit two threes in that third quarter and Xavier Tillman even hit a three and was off to a great start in that third quarter with putbacks rolling to the basket he was just doing all the dirty work for that Memphis team just amazing but LeBron James in the third quarter started getting going and it was inside the arc obviously I talked about in the preview with CL before the series go check that out he has a size advantage against DB so he was getting to the post getting to the basket when I mean getting the basket, I mean, yeah, in the post, catching the ball around the mid-post, mid-range area, turning and facing, you know, reverse layups, quick spins. And, you know, the thing about the Grizzlies is they're starting to see that LeBron only wants to hit turnarounds over the right shoulder. If he goes to his left shoulder, he'll only spin for the layup. That's always been a thing with LeBron because his shot is weird. Only when he's scorching hot, he's going to turn over the left shoulder, kick his leg out, and turn his shoulders to the basket and hit. You got to play him for the right shoulder and then bring help when he turns baseline. That's the move with Braun. But I got to tell you this about LeBron. His passing in this game was spectacular. His cross-court passes when they were loading up, his passes out of the post. He had a lot of Larry Bird-like passes in this game. Passes out of shot, touch passes once or twice. Those are not as typical for Braun. He's more of a cross-court specialist. You know, whip it fast across the court, pick and roll. But... He was just doing some passes that were just showing how much he can do and what kind of passes he can really make. But AD just couldn't get it going. That was the problem. You know, two for 12. And But overall, the Lakers did cut it down. I thought Austin Reeves, too, was starting to make good reads in the pick and roll, getting in the in-between game. And he found Rui for an open three on the left wing. The Lakers were down by 10 after three. And that's when Jared Vanderbilt, with AD out of the game, and it was only a couple of minutes, had a rough stretch. LeBron was finding him on some nice positions in the dunker spot area around the key when Jaron Jackson would load up off of him. And in the first time he made it, I think it was an eight-point game after that, then it was the play I talked about earlier where he got snuffed out at the rim by Triple J. And then after that, he passed up two shots and was causing turnovers. And you got to give the Grizzlies credit for that defensively. The rotations were sharp. I mean, guys like Jaron Jackson, their ability to help and then recover in time is uncanny. And the closest the Lakers got it, though, they did make the Grizzlies sweat a little bit. They cut it down to six, and it was Braun scoring around the rim, not really in the pick and roll. He ended up getting up to 28 points. So, so far in this series, LeBron with 49 points, I believe, in the two games. That's good enough for 24.5 points. I think that should still be enough for the most part, but AD is going to have to be better. D'Angelo Russell is going to have to be better. This was a poor performance by him. You know, defensively, I actually thought he was not horrible. Maybe you disagree with me, Laker fans. You let me know. But offensively, he's got to hit shots. He's got to hit shots. He's got to be smarter. He can't turn the ball over like that. 
And D'Lo, Reeves, and Rui, who also, by the way, I can't stress enough how great Rui Hachimura has been to start this series. But D'Lo, Reeves, and Rui all got solid looks from three in that last, like, five-minute stretch of the game. They all missed, along with Braun, too. And then when the game was 92-86, that was the closest the Lakers got it. Some bad fouls were committed, two in a row. One by LeBron slapping down on Desmond Bain when he didn't need to. Then another one by Austin Reeves, if I'm not mistaken. And the dagger was made by Dylan Brooks, who was talking a whole lot of shit, as you would expect. And the Grizzlies, the Teddies, tie the series 103-93 to over the Lakers. And so... By the way, I also want to mention the LA Kings lost to the Oilers tonight. We're down 2 nothing, tied the game, and then lost 3-2 with a goal in the third period. Look, we made them work. Every single LA team won their first game and then lost the second. They're all coming back home, 1-1 with home field or home court, home ice. Time to take care of business, Kings, Lakers, and Clippers. Um, but the Lakers, probably if you want to say of all the teams, they would be the most disappointed not going up 2 nothing because... The Kings, I didn't expect that. The Clippers, I mean, I, I was expecting potentially 0-2 down. But the Lakers had a chance here without Jaw. And I know the Grizzlies play really well without Jaw. They did not come out with the right intensity. And they made their job too hard in the second half. And AD needed to be better. Austin Reeves, I'm sorry, not Austin Reeves. D'Angelo Russell needed to be better. That was the ball game. And you got to give credit to Memphis. I mean, they were spectacular. They had guys step up. The others, as Shaq likes to call them, stepped up. Let's read the stat lines for the game before we move on to Boston. For the Grizz, they played a nine-man rotation. Already talked about John Conchar. Aldama, pretty quiet in this one. 14 minutes played. He had a donut, but seven rebounds and two assists. So got to find ways to contribute. He was a plus five in the game. And obviously, I'm looking at these things from a Lakers fan perspective because it's a Lakers channel. This is L.A. So I'm not really looking at things on both ends of the court from Memphis as much. So if Aldama did play and you're a Teddy's fan that follows me, which I don't have any, let me know. David Roddy thought he was really solid in his role. Dylan Brooks was struggling with foul trouble all night long. He had five fouls in the game. And I thought Roddy came in and did a really solid job on LeBron and just a good job defensively overall. And he hit three threes. You know, he's obviously going to be left alone to shoot, but he's a really good athlete. He's one of those guys that's just built like a football player. And he's only, yeah, he's only shooting 31% in the regular season. So the Lakers game plan, LeBron was leaving him wide open, but he hit three out of seven threes. So you got to give him credit. Nine points for him. Help them win. And then Luke Kennard. I mean, it just sucks for me as a fan of the Clippers. Like, I was just hoping that we could keep him and we would see him grow as a Clipper. But it just didn't materialize. Uh, Luke Kennard with 14 points. I'm sorry, 13 points. Six rebounds. He even hit a couple of mid-ranges too. Four for seven. Actually, one mid-range. Four for seven from the field. Three for four from deep for the man that once again led the league in three-point percentage. As I said, he was going to because he's just that guy. But anyway, how about the starters? Dylan Brooks only played 23 minutes. As I said, he struggled with that foul trouble. 12 points and three assists. Five for 14 from the field and two for six from three. I want to say that he's due for a good shooting night, but I don't know. He sometimes can just suck it up. Stein, a comment from the chat says, In my opinion, Rui should start instead of Vando. Without Jaw, they don't really need Vando. Interesting take. Interesting take. So then who do you have guarding Tyus Jones at the point of attack? D'Angelo Russell, I'm guessing. I think that could work possibly because AD is just so good defensively. And then now you're making the Memphis defense work a little bit. And then he says, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brooks can roam because of Vando. 
Daniel Berry Sports Highlights seems to agree. Says, start Rui. I know. And Stein says, exactly. And says, I'm a Laker fan. And I always told our fan base, D'Lo is actually a cone on D. Well, I actually think D'Lo has been good defensively, decent enough for the Lakers so far in his second stint. You can disagree with that. Let me know. Marvin Tabo says, Rui needs a max contract. Then Reeves this offseason. Okay, max contract is a lot. Let's relax. Daniel Berry Sports Highlights says, D'Lo became Westbrook. Hey, you watch Russell Westbrook in that last game? He was no Westbrook. Marvin Tabo says, D'Lo and Vando tricked us. Stein says, Reeves will get the bag. We might not even re-sign him. That would be a huge loss. Jaime Tiago says, Memphis is deep. When you're that bad for years, you create depth. People sleep on depth. Memphis was bad for one season, bro. Memphis was only bad for one year. Actually, what, two seasons? They were bad for two seasons. Anyway, let's talk about the other starters for Memphis. Xavier Tillman, he was the player of the game for me. 22 points, 13 rebounds. Five of those were offensive rebounds. And at the end of the game, Rui Hachimura and AD let the Grizzlies get an offensive rebound. They just wanted it more. I know it's cliche, but they did, and they showed it. 22 and 13 for Tillman to go along with three assists. He had some nice passes, too. One beautiful pass to Bain for a backdoor cut in the first quarter. He was 10 for 13 from the field and one for two from three. So just amazing game for Xavier Tillman. And then Desmond Bain, as I said, 17 points. He still scored, but he had five turnovers, which were half of the Grizzlies' turnovers. Six for 18 from the field, one for six from three is no good. And then Tyus Jones, 10 points on four for 11 shooting and 0 for five from three. So he didn't shoot very well. And then Jaron Jackson thought he was really good. Not as much offensively in this one, but defensively. 18 points, 9 rebounds, 1 steal, and 3 blocks, 3 assists, 5 for 12 from the field, 1 for 3 from deep, and they're staggering Jackson and Tillman. So one of them basically in at all times. They have to to keep that size out there. He played 40 minutes. The Grizzlies shot 43% from the field, so not that good. As I said, the Lakers' defense was not horrendous. And then 31% from three, so not a good shooting night at all. But you can say the same thing about the Lakers. As we read their lines, Troy Brown Jr., donut, 11 minutes, 0 for 1. Dennis Schroeder already talked about. Malik Beasley, 7 points, 2 for 4 from the field, 1 for 3 from deep. Only 13 minutes because he struggles to guard. Very one-dimensional player. Jared Vanderbilt, 8 points, 8 rebounds, 2 steals, and a block. 4 offensive rebounds, so it's good to see Vando affect the offensive glass. He's been doing that since he's been a Laker. But 2 turnovers, given how little he touches the ball, it's not good. 3 for 5 from the field, that sounds fantastic. Like Just looking at Vando's stats, he was also a plus 8. That sounds all great, but you don't see in field goal percentage what shots you don't take. And that's why efficiency is over-fucking-rated. Because guys like Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, and LeBron a lot of times, they won't take certain tough shots because they want to save their percentage and look good. Whereas guys like Kobe and Jordan say, I don't give a fuck, let me chuck, and we're going to live with the results. And I prefer that sometimes, more often than not. Just my opinion. You can disagree. But Chris Paul got zero rings with his conservativeness. KD, to me, he don't really got rings like that. LeBron James, different. He's goaded, so a little different. But he's an efficiency merchant to me as well, you know? Okay, that makes it sound like being efficient is bad. Let's just say that at times I feel like he doesn't take, you know, maybe he's just not, I don't want to say he's not the tough shot maker that Jordan and Kobe are because he shoots differently tough shots. It's more like in traffic at the rim and, you know, shots with guys all over him. But in terms of, like, contested pull-ups, post-fades, these kind of things, step back. Actually, you know, LeBron does hit the step back, but he only hits it going left. So, you know what I'm saying? He knows what his bag is. You feel me? Like, he won't take a fadeaway going right. Like, that's the thing. He won't take all these shots. 
And sometimes I think he should. When when guys are loading up, he doesn't want to pass. But, again, he prefers to be efficient, which I get. It's, it's just a different lens, you know? I prefer that other style of those guys. Everybody knows that. Just a preference difference. But, yeah. I think sometimes efficiency is overrated because you can't tell what shot they're not taking and if it's hurting the team or not. And in Vanderbilt's case, I, I use those stars as an example because like Chris Paul in the finals in 2021, he looked good field goal percentage. He sucked um, after the first two games. But Jared Vanderbilt, yeah, that's just my point on him. As for the other starters, D'Angelo Russell, five points, seven rebounds, four assists. Five points is never going to cut it. Two for 11 from the field, one for five from three and three turnovers. The Lakers only turned the ball over 12 times, so actually not the worst in the world. But the Grizzlies did a really good job of running off those turnovers. They wanted to run them out of there. They had 20 points off their, off their turnovers. So they got to be cautious about that. When you turn the ball over against Memphis, they will run. It's not like the old grit and grind team. They wanted to slow it down. These guys will push. But D'Lo, this is not good enough. Five points. Rui Hachimura. Quite good enough. 20 points and 5 boards. 7 for 12 from the field and 2 for 4 from 3. He's been lights out. 20 plus points in both games. I mean, come on. Doesn't get much better than that. And then Austin Reeves. 12 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. Only 1 turnover. 5 for 12 from the field and 1 for 3 from deep. But 1 for 3 from the line. So Reeves, he can still shoot better than that. Um, But I thought he was okay. And then the Stars. AD, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 5 blocks. Defense, amazing. Offense, really poor. 4 for 14 from the field. you got to credit Jackson and Tillman as well. The double teams are also good. And the Lakers only shooting 27% from 3, so not making the defense pay at all. LeBron and, Vander, uh, and Hachimura were, though. But 4 for 14 from the field, that's not going to cut it. 13 points. I mean, 18 points combined between AD and D'Lo. Nah. LeBron, though, 28 points, 12 boards, 3 assists. So, as I'm saying, with the playmaking, not running that much pick and roll. And part of it's because they're switching that AD-LeBron pick and roll. 3 assists only. But he got a good amount of hockey assists and also just passes that weren't finished off. 12 for 23 from the field for Braun. But as I said, shitty 3-point shooting game. And he shot 4 of them that were just terrible shots. So, I mean, did LeBron play perfectly? No, but I don't really blame him at all for the loss, honestly. I just think four of the threes he took were just stupid. One for eight from deep, but 12 for 23 from the field overall. So 11 for 15 from two. Three for four from the line, 28 and 12 for Braun and only one turnover. So less playmaking, less chance of turnovers. Um, He's been good through two games. I'd say, I want to say he's been the best player through two games, but nah, because AD's impact on on the defensive end is so large. Like without him, they're nothing to me. Like really nothing, but... That's it for me for the Laker game. We're going to go to Boston now, but let's take a look at the comments. So, Jaime Tiago says, unlike the clip, wait, what are you talking about? Memphis is deep. When you're that bad for years, you create depth. Unlike the Clippers who trade Eric Bledsoe and Keon Johnson for NBA starters. Okay, you like, I like that. Marvin Tabo says, Ham is a terrible coach. I disagree with that. I would like to know why you think that. Just because he makes some bad lineup decisions sometimes. He's done a good job with this team in terms of make. I mean, yeah, I think he's done. He's made the Lakers try harder defensively from the beginning, even before the trades. Jaime Tiago says the Clippers are out of the playoffs if the Lakers don't trade Westbrook to Utah and they want nothing to do with him. Clippers are out of the playoffs if the Lakers don't trade Westbrook to Utah. Why would we be out of the playoffs if we don't trade Westbrook? If the Lakers don't trade Westbrook? We were already in the playoffs. Stein says, yeah, for sure. If the Clippers didn't sign Russ when PG got injured, they might be in trouble. 
Mm, you could be right, but I don't know, man. We still play decently with the other guys. Jaime Tiago says, no Morant Grizzlies play better. D Daniel says, no Pandemic P Clippers play better. Totally disagree with that. I totally disagree with that. Now Daniel also says, without Giannis, the Bucks play better. I also disagree with that. Anyway. Jaime Tiago says, Lakers aren't in this position without all the depth. Memphis was desperate. Lakers didn't match that. Terrible calls again tonight against the Lakers. I think only a couple. Daniel Berry Sports Highlight, though, says Lakers in five. He's unfazed. Jaime Tiago says it's not fouls. It's called the timing of them. Daniel Berry Sports Highlight says dime. Talk about Suns. I talked about that yesterday. Jaime Tiago says Lakers first playoff game at home since 2013 on Saturday. I was at the last one. I was at the last one. Um, that was game four against the Spurs. The play-in game was lit, so it's going to be awesome. Lakers fans are going to be intense and excited, and Clipper fans got to be intense and excited. Ten years ago in 2013... It wasn't even close who had a louder playoff game between the Lakers and the Clippers. It wasn't close. We were 10, 100 times louder because the Lakers are comfortable. But now they haven't been because they haven't hosted a game in 10 years in the playoffs with sold-out crowd. So it's going to be electric against Memphis on Saturday. Electric. And it's also a night game, whereas we got shafted with the early game. So fuck you, NBA. Uh, can't get into a dome soon enough. Ricky Beavers says AD was subpar today. And then, yeah... Jaime Tiago says, Diamond is right. Shout out to Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph. Let's talk about the Celtics, though, who played against the Hawks in Game 2. And Boston, you know, I talked about them in Game 1. They were comprehensive and beat them. Hawks made a fake run at the end. They did a great job on Trey Young. And let's talk about what the Celtics did well in this one. I actually thought the Hawks got off to a great start. DeAndre Hunter making threes. Trey Young creating pick and roll. John Collins was making threes. They were up 22 to 11. And then when the Time Lord came in and Brogdon, 14-0 run for Boston. Just, I mean, what can you say? They're a better offensive team. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are in go mode. They're attacking the paint relentlessly. And you know, I have to say, for the second straight playoffs... Trey Young is getting shut down right now. He was poor in game one. He was poor in game two. So poor that I've never seen any team's coach do this to their best player. Took him out of the game even without foul trouble because he straight up couldn't guard. Even Jokic, when he's getting picked on in pick and roll, the coach won't go away like that. Dirk Nowitzki, they won't go away like that because that's a franchise player. At the seven-minute mark of the third quarter, when the Celtics went big, they put Marcus at the point and then Time Lord in there with Horford, Tatum, Smart. I'm sorry, yeah, and Brown and White. Snyder pulled Trey Young out. That was like a huge moment for me watching it. I was like, oh my God, like they really just took him out of the game and said, you're a liability, bro. The franchise player. And then DeJounte started going crazy. It looks like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that says this because Trey Young still made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but there are aspects of DeJounte Murray's game that favor playoff basketball more. He's a better defender, he's got length, and he's great in the in-between game. Trey Young, when you put size on, like Derek White, what Kiana said in the preview was facts. He's been playing amazing defense. I don't even recognize this guy. He's, a, he's also so confident offensively, attacking every closeout, making threes, making shots in between game, blocking Trey Young from behind. His pick and roll screen navigation is exceptional. And Marcus Smart's defense is great. Look, Boston blew the doors open as the half went on. You know, they outscored this, uh, the Hawks 33-24 in the second quarter. 
Malcolm Brogdon hit a half-court shot to end the first quarter. And it's not just Derek White and Marcus Smart who are doing a good job on Trey Young. This dude, Sam Hauser, was locking him up. Sam Hauser is showing me he's a great defender. He's really strong. What's with these white guys that are good at defense, like Caruso, Christian Brown, and Sam Hauser? I mean, Trey Young, like, I, I didn't push back when Alex on Hawks Fan TV said that Tatum and, and Trey Young, they're so good that you can only contain them, you can only slow them down, you can't fully stop them. Dude, Trey Young has been stopped. 24 points, but on 9 for 22 shooting, 2 for 8 from 3, and then 5 turnovers, and he only shot 6 foul shots. Like, yeah, he scored 24 points. I get it. And you can't say somebody was shut down with 24 points. But the Celtics, both games have been the same to me, right? The Celtics, at least in the first game, they just smacked him in the face. The first game, the, the second game, the Hawks came out better to start. And then the Celtics smacked him in the face. Went up by 20. The Hawks made another fake run. This time they got it to, what, like 9 or 8 because DeJounte was going off and Bogdanovich was hitting threes. And then the Celtics just like are like, all right, let's start trying again and just end the game. Like, the, the Celtics right now, and I'm being serious. It's only been two games, and they're playing Atlanta. I get it. But they, to me, look like a level above the rest of the competition. There's clear holes in every team, and they have the least amount of holes to me. They have really good point-of-attack defenders. They have plenty of versatility and size in the wings. They have two big men, one that's an amazing athletic shot blocker, one of the best in closing out space I've seen, and they have one of the highest IQ bigs of the last decade with Al Horford. Then they have a Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench, and even a guy like Sam Hauser who's shown that he can play defense. And then they have two stars that are capable of averaging 25-plus in a series. They average that all season. It's just to me a matter of will Tatum and Brown make the big plays at the final stages because they're going to the conference finals. They're going to get tested against Philly, though. That's not going to be an easy series, but I got six Celtics winning. I think Harden's going to have trouble in that series. And then the Time Lord and Horford, like, Embiid's unstoppable, but if you want to have any guys to try to kind of throw at them, I mean, why not those guys? And the Sixers, it seems like in this era, have a mental block against the Celtics to a degree. Now, this is the best iteration of them. But I still got Boston. And Milwaukee, I, their offense looks very clunky to me at times. And I know that's very weird coming from a, after a game they scored 138 points. But I like Boston's depth, man. I do. I really do. And the Denver Nuggets, I'm going to talk about them in a second, actually. But as far as Boston, I mean, Jalen Brown, one thing I've noticed about JB, his off-ball movement has really improved. Like, he had moments where he'd cut and move off the ball on sets last year. But this year, I'm noticing in the playoffs, he's just like back cutting, moving really spontaneously because guys are going to guard him topside all the time for dribble handoffs and shit. So for him to go back cut and just go the other way and keep his defender guessing, I've noticed that. And it's really impressive. Takes his offense to another level, quite frankly. And, you know, I thought the Hawks or the Celtics, they started their onslaught at the end of the first quarter when Derek White got the block and then an insane reverse layup. And they were just rolling. You know, Tatum was just putting on an offensive clinic in that second quarter he was spinning over both shoulders on the drive hitting step back threes and then Al Horford was coming and helping for timely blocks you know Trey just couldn't score and Marcus Smart for all the talk about his defense having fallen off a little bit his defense has been great these first two games active hands really good help strong contesting well and the Celtics one thing they were doing really well in this game turning defense into offense. They've done it in both games. They've got athletes. I've been saying for years they should play at a faster pace, and it seems like these last two years 
ever since, you know, that turnaround last year, they've started to embrace that, turning defense into offense. And I thought Malcolm Brogdon, you know, great outlet passes to start those breaks. Celtics were up 12 at the half. In the second half, as I said, they subbed Trey Young out of the game, and then they went down 20. DeJounte Murray was showing, I mean, amazing in-between game, three ball. He was he had 29 points on 11 for 24 shooting and 7 for 13 from deep. Seven threes for DeJounte because they were going under the screen, and he was making them pay. And they, started going, they started going over the top, and he got his in-between game. So DeJounte, he is having a better series than Trey Young right now. They're going to need Trey Young to play well if they want to even get a game because right now it's looking like the brooms are coming out. I just think that the Boston Celtics, like they're going to turn up to an even higher level on the road, but they were 32 and nine at home this season. However, I mean, 25 and 16 on the road isn't bad either. The Celtics got only outscored the Hawks by one in the second half, but as I said, it was comfortable. You know, the the Hawks made their little run. I thought Bogdanovich actually played really well, but overall, they had it. They went at 119 to 106 to take a two nothing lead to defend home court. Let's read the stat lines for the game. Uh, Jalen Johnson only got five minutes in this game and was a donut. I don't know why. As I, I mean, I'm looking this, at this more from a Celtics perspective, given that you know I went to UMass and plus no one's expecting the Hawks to win except maybe Hawks fan TV. Um, zero points for Jalen Johnson. He probably should play more than that. Sadiq Bay, not a good game, not a good game at all. He's not done anything in this series. He's getting picked on on defense here and there. Oh for three from deep. Oh for four from the field in 15 minutes. A donut. So two of their bench players. Two of their nine rotation players getting donuts. That's no good. Onyeka Kongwu played actually more than Clint Capella, who has been invisible in these first two games to me. Four points for Capella, only one block, seven rebounds, two steals. This is the guy I got 21 rebounds against Miami. Two for four from the field in just 22 minutes. And then the big O, ugh, I just got to stop saying that. Eight points and nine boards and two blocks. So I actually thought he was better. Four for five from the field in 24 minutes. Then Bogdanovich, 18 points, 4 assists, 2 steals, 7 for 11 from the field, and 4 for 7 from deep. I thought he's actually, he was actually really good. He was part of the fake run in both games, quite frankly. And then John Collins, he's not a pick-and-pop big. He needs to shoot like two threes a game, and that's it. they got to stop doing that. He's a dunker, but that's the thing now. Now you have two guys that can't really shoot. It's more traditional. I think, you know what, actually? Pick-and-pop him, but short corner, 18 feet. He's not a good three-point shooter. Maybe I think I've seen he's a decent mid-range shooter. But I don't know about that, man. I really don't know about that. He's not a three-point shooter. Daniel Berry Sports highlights his Hawks are a pathetic franchise. I disagree with that. The Atlanta Hawks have always been good. Um, they've never been to the finals, sure, in the Atlanta era. But they've always been competitive. Anyway, that's John Co- So John Collins, 5.6 rebounds, 2 for 11 from the field, 1 for 7 from deep, and... I remember that three was in the first quarter, so I don't remember the other field goal, but let's just say after the first quarter, he may have only scored two points. It's two points or less. That's not good enough. So, And then Capella with only four points. So if you combine four of their rotation players, they gave you a combined nine points. That's nothing. That's not good enough. And then the other guys. How about DeAndre Hunter? I actually thought he was good. He was good. 18 points, 12 rebounds, four offensive rebounds, three assists, but four turnovers. That's too much. Um, The Hawks turned the ball over 15 times, and the Celtics made them pay on those. 
Um, 16 turnovers, actually. But the both teams turned the ball over 16 times. And that's honestly the only reason the Celtics were keeping them in the game was they were turning the ball over too much. That's one problem for them. But 16 turnovers for them, 22 points off of those turnovers for Boston. So the Hawks in Atlanta, they got to take better care of the ball. But DeAndre Hunter was good. 18 and 12, you'll take that all day. 8 for 19 from the field, so not uber efficient. 2 for 9 from deep, that's where he really struggled. His mid-range is actually really solid. There was one play where all eyes were on, I think, I don't know if it was Trey Young or DeJounte, but he came off off the ball, spontaneous movement to the foul line, got an open mid-range, really good stuff. So he was 6 for 10 from inside the arc. Something to look at. Trey Young, 24 points. Three rebounds, six assists, five turnovers, two steals, nine for 22 from the field, and two for eight from three, and four for six from the line. It's been a struggle for Trey Young. And you got to credit Derek White and Marcus Smart mainly. The thing is, the Celtics can literally switch one through five when they have the Horford at the five. And they have good defenders everywhere. That's a problem. Not many teams in the league can do this. That's why I think they're going to win it all. Banner 18, Tatum, fulfilling destiny early. DeJounte Murray, 29 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 4 steals. 4 steals, 3 turnovers, 11 for 24 from the field, and as I said earlier, 7 for 13 from deep in 40 minutes. The only Hawk to play 40 minutes. Thought he he was awesome. As for the Celtics, only an 8-man rotation. 23 minutes on the Time Lord. He was awesome to me. 8 points, 5 boards, 2 blocks. Four for five on the field in 23 minutes. Just making a great impact. Sam Hauser, 15 minutes, three points, three rebounds, plus seven. One for one, only shot one three and made it, but that does not tell you how good he was. His defense was awesome. He was locking down Trey Young when he was switched on to him. Malcolm Brogdon, another game where he didn't shoot very well, especially from three, 13 points on four for 11 shooting and one for four from deep. But don't get me wrong, he was amazing. He was tied for the highest plus minus of any player in the entire game with plus 20. He had seven rebounds and eight assists, so he damn near had a triple-double off the bench. Eight assists and one turnover. He is just so smart. And as I said, in the playoffs right here, this is where he's going to show why he was such a great addition. And then the starters. Al Horford, such a good start to the series for him. Eight points, four rebounds, three assists, one steal, three blocks on three for six shooting and two for four from three in 32 minutes. Those stats do not sound like anything, but Al Horford has been awesome. Just awesome. And then the other guys, Marcus Smart, 14 points, five rebounds, six assists, three steals, only one turnover, plus 10, six for 11 from the field. Two for six from three from three is not great. But he has just been great in these first two games. 32 minutes of play. So four Celtics in double figures starting, five overall. Derek White continues to be insane on both ends. 26 points and seven rebounds. He was even getting MVP chance from the TD Garden crowd. And Trey Young was getting overrated chance from the TD Garden crowd. And plus, there was that recent survey of 54 anonymous players voting on who the most overrated player in the NBA was. And Trey Young won. Ugh. But Derek White, 26 points on 11 for 16 shooting, 2 for 5 from 3 and 2 for 2 from the line in 34 minutes. He has just been spectacular. And then the Jays, 18 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 steals, and 2 blocks for Jalen Brown. His defensive activity has been really good. He's hit timely shots, shot 50% from the field and from 3 and from the line, funny enough. 
7 for 14 from the field, 2 for 4 from 3 in 36 minutes. 18 points is obviously below his average, but I like the way he played. And then Jason Tatum was my player of the game. 29 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal and a block. Did turn the ball over 14 times, though, so a quarter of the turnovers for the Celtics from him. He's got to take better care of the ball. But 29, 10, and 6 on 12 for 22 shooting and 5 for 9 from 3. He'll take that all day. He did get to the basket a good amount. It's weird that he didn't even shoot one foul shot, but he's got to keep being aggressive. Celtics win it 119 to 106. As I said, I think it's going to be Celtics in five, but it really could be a sweep. And now for the closing game, the Milwaukee, I'm sorry, the Denver Nuggets and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So this one started out all Denver yet again, and it was Jamal Murray in the pick and roll that was absolutely cooking. As I say, the Murray-Jokic pick and roll is one of the hardest in the league to guard. And when you're in that drop coverage that Gobert is going to be in, he is going to hit that floater. And on when Gordon was setting the screen, Towns was staying attached. So they're letting Murray get into the in-between game, and he showed why he was vintage Murray tonight. He was my player of the game in this one. He was getting off to a great start. I believe he had 14 points in the first quarter. He did. And But also, on the other side, we needed a good game from Ant, and we got a great game from Ant. He was solid at the start. Two threes. And, you know, I noticed this man, and this is the problem with Denver. I'm seeing it now. They can't win the championship, I don't think. Murray and Jokic. I have a conviction, guys. And that is that when your two best players are... Not None of them are good defenders. They're at best decent only. I don't think that's going to win a championship. And I think it's being generous when I say Jokic is decent. Because what I witnessed tonight was not decent. He deters nothing at the rim. He's so flat-footed. I mean, it's just open season on the basket. And as far as the Clippers and stuff matching up with them in the next round potentially, I have a totally different opinion on them now. Because I realized something about the matchup with them. And why we had so much success in the last matchup. Russ changes a lot for us with that matchup. Because we need somebody to attack Jokic the rim. Before we don't get enough of that. But with Norman Powell, with Bones, and Russ, we do get more of that. And that's why I'm not as afraid of Denver as I once was. And plus, Murray on the ball, I don't like his defense. I think oftentimes he gets beat very easily. Off the ball, his defense is improving. He got a couple of steals in the passing lanes. Had one nice block later in the game. So I think his rotations and his, you know, in the passing lane, he's decent. But on the ball, he's still pretty weak. And putting Murray and Jokic in the pick and roll, that's good stuff. And Ant was just getting whatever he wanted, like at the rim. And you're making the deep, like Jokic is going to hedge, right? When he hedges, he needs to have super active hands and take away the pass to his man. Because when it goes to his man, it then it gets four on three and it gets tough. When you get the pass to a cross court or somebody near you, then you'll have more time to recover. But when you have enough guys that can attack closeouts, even then you're at a disadvantage in today's game with the spacing. And the Wolves, they do have guys that can attack closeouts, especially Anthony Edwards and even Carl Anthony Towns. He has that unique ability. So, and Torian Prince has been shooting really well from three recently. So, 
That's the thing with the Nuggets, guys. I don't think they can win the championship because their best two players are at best decent defenders. If you don't have a good defender in your top two players, you're not going to win a chip. The best example you can make is who was Dirk's second best player, but he didn't really have a clear-cut one. He was surrounded by elite defenders, and in my opinion, Dirk is a much better defender than Jokic. He hedges much better on screens, and he also plays in a different era where you're not going to get caught out in space the same way. But Dirk was better than Jokic defensively to me. Jokic... I really love Jokic. He's awesome. But he doesn't get off the fucking ground. They were getting whatever they wanted. The only reason Minnesota wasn't scoring in the first half was because they were missing a bunch of open shots. But I will say this. Denver's point of attack defense gets way better off the bench because then they put uh, Christian Brown and Bruce Brown in. They do a really good job. I thought also to start the game, Carl Anthony Towns was dog shit. I mean... It's just, he's so frustrating. Aaron Gordon was guarding him, and he was locking him up. And I got to give credit to AG. He's super strong. But Towns, he just makes the game so complicated. He constantly wants to catch the ball at the three-point line. And, and when Gobert is there, I understand. But when you give them the ball in the mid-post, you can have Gobert in the dunker spot, just like Vanderbilt for the Lakers. And Gobert is a seven-footer. But he is so hard to watch offensively, too. The Wolves have periods when Ant's not scoring where their offense is just gross to watch. Because Cat can be terrible sometimes. Like... He needs, if he feels like he needs to shove somebody to score in the post. But there was one call, I think that was a really bad call, where he just turned, bully balled somebody, and I think it was Bruce Brown or Jeff Green, one of the two. And they, or, well, it was either one of Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, or Aaron Gordon. They called an offensive foul. I didn't even think he extended there, but he's just so frustrating to watch. Um, and, the, and the Nuggets subs, I think they did a great job in that first stint towards the end of that first quarter and the beginning of the second. Brown and Brown were playing great defense. And the Nuggets, you could hear Mike Malone, he was saying, get out and run. Get out and run when they can. Run them off the gym. And they were. I mean, Bruce Brown was catching lobs. Jeff Green was looking like Celtics Jeff Green. Duncan in transition. He had an alley-oop himself. He was really good defensively, too. He even took a charge. Just a really good period for the Nuggets. The Wolves were scoreless in the second to like the nine-minute mark. I think it was six minutes without a field goal at the end of that first quarter and the beginning of that second. And Cat picked up his third foul at the 9-21 mark. Just, again, just super low IQ shit. And Minnesota's offense was garbage. Denver was fast-breaking them to death. Jeff Green was getting out and running. And then Jokic, who was fairly quiet in the first quarter, was starting to get more involved. He had this insane touch pass. I mean, the thing about Jokic is I don't think he had a very good game because his defense was garbage. And offensively, I think actually Gobert did a decent job. Jokic was still, though, 10 for 19, 27, 9, and 9. Like, that's how good he is. That even in a game where I don't even think he played that well, he still gets one rebound and one assist away from a triple-double. But Murray was the one that they couldn't stop. But part of that's because of Jokic's gravity. But that being said, Gobert was dropping deep. Jokic was open for a lot of pick-and-pop threes, and Murray was still shooting. So, you know, sometimes I do get on Murray for being not aggressive enough. I think in this game he was perfectly aggressive. At times, even like a stretch in the second half where he was too aggressive, but it was okay because he was in rhythm for the fourth. So you got to live with that if you're a Nuggets fan overall. But Jokic, you know, I've said for years that LeBron or Larry Bird, those two are the best non um, the best passing non-point guards ever. Like the best players to ever pass a basketball that are not point guards. But Jokic is right in that dis- discussion. He really is. Um, that touch pass he had to, I believe it was, who hit that mid-range? Maybe Gordon or Brown? I don't remember who it was. So beautiful. And um, in the first half, I think Anthony Edwards was the only solid one on the Wolves besides Torian Prince. Uh, Gobert's defense was good. But his offense is just terrible. Like, he can't even catch the ball sometimes. Like, it was just terrible in the first half. 
And Murray had a little injury scare for the second. He landed awkwardly on a floater. Um, but he had 18 in the first half. Jokic had 14 in the first half. Aaron Gordon had a putback reverse dunk. You don't see that, a putback reverse dunk in a half-court set. The Nuggets were up by as many as 21, but Murray and Jokic's defense was still concerning me. They were up 15 at the half. They were up They were up 19 to 3 in fast break points. And in the second half, it was a totally different, like a tale of two halves completely. The Wolves started making everything. And again, it was constantly putting Jokic in that pick and roll. And Ant was attacking closeouts. He was starting to make his jumper. Conley was making good decisions. Prince was hitting shots. Towns started to get going attacking closeouts. And you started to see what I was talking about. It was bad, man. He wasn't contesting anything. Mike Malone said they shot 80% in the third quarter. And he told them straight up in the inside tracks, no defense. You guys didn't play any defense. They they cut it to eight first. And they cut it, called a timeout. And part of that was because Murray in the pick and roll. They were leaving Jokic wide open in the drop coverage. But... Murray wasn't really passing, and there was a couple possessions in a row that Jokic didn't touch the ball. And then Jokic was touching the ball, but Gobert was doing a decent job. And look, I think Gobert's a much better drop coverage defender, rim protector, than in the post defender. Like, Jokic still got him in the air for some pump fakes, but he's still one of the best defenders in the league, even post. Like, I don't think he can guard Shaq or Akeem or any of these, like Willis Reed, like all these goats. He can't even guard Jokic, but he can do a better job than most because he's so tall and long. So... I thought he had some decent defensive possessions in that stretch. And the Wolves were running too, off misses and off turnovers. There was one time where Jokic lost the ball dribbling into a double team. And they cut it down to one. Zero defense for Denver, especially their two stars for me. I thought somebody who actually played decent defense, believe it or not, especially in the fourth, was MPJ. His rotations were good. His help defense was solid. And he's got size and length. Jokic and Murray are the two worst defenders in that starting lineup. At least in my opinion. If you're a Nuggets fan, tell me what you think. But zero defense for Denver in the third quarter. Ant was a monster. And the whole big three played the third quarter. Ant, Gobert, and Towns. Murray, though, 28 points after the third. He had this amazing shot where he was against Alexander Walker. Turned and pivoted and hit. And in the third quarter, like Alexander Walker, for example, was broke in the first half. Hit a corner three. And then you had, what's his name, hit a corner three as well. Torian Prince. Everything was falling for him. And then the fourth quarter, it got entertaining. So the Nuggets were up, actually down by two. I'm sorry, no, they were, yeah, down by two heading into the fourth quarter. And the Minnesota Timberwolves took the lead. Ant sat for very little. And the last lead they were going to have was 99-98 with 6.30 left. Rudy Escargo-Bear got an over-the-back foul, his fifth foul. He got mad. It was a soft call. I totally agree with him. And he nearly got a sixth foul right after on a Jokic post-up. Jokic scored. He was grabbing his fucking jersey. And by the way, whatever happened to you can't put two hands on the back of a post player? That was what I was taught growing up. You could just have the arm bar. Now, because they don't want to have players play in the post, they don't call that shit. But when somebody gets a little bit of impeding progress on the perimeter, it's a fucking hand check call. Give me a break, dude. It's ass. And it really hurts post players. Um, but Gobert got his fifth foul on that over the back. Um, and you know who I thought was just massive in the fourth quarter. And by the way, the Nuggets went with the lineup to start the fourth of no Jokic or Murray. And they didn't play a backup big. So Thomas Bryant, Reggie Jackson, they're not in the rotation. You know, they go with Jeff Green at the five, switch everything. Aaron Gordon at the five, really. Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, and uh, another starter like KCP. 
That's what they do. They only go eight deep. So the Nuggets, they're not. And on Christian Brown only played seven minutes. I don't even know if he checked in in the second half. I don't think he did. Probably, you know, I think he did for a little bit. It was very brief, though, because they put Murray and Jokic right back in. And they actually held their own in that little lineup because MPJ was hitting. You know, he was awesome in the fourth. 13 points in the quarter. He had an amazing reverse layup. He was hitting threes. And he was, and he was pretty quiet before that. But he was coming off those dribble handoffs and you're dropped. He's, I mean, you can't block his shot. So if he's getting a clean look, you're in trouble. And obviously, open threes, he's hitting as well. And the man who finished the game, Jamal Murray. He's back. He announced to the world. I already knew he was back because I watched Nuggets games. But he announced to the world that he was back. Dominating in that Jokic and Murray pick and roll. Again, if Go Bitch is going to drop, he's going to pull up all day long. Floaters, threes. He was, and I love Murray's in between games. Step backs. He was, he was putting on a show. He really was. And Jokic was open for a lot of these, by the way. Um, and he was still just getting buckets. <laughs> they went up by 10, but the Ant Man, you got to give him credit. He played so well tonight. He did not give up. He hit threes. He hit step backs. He kept driving in the basket. As I said, Jokic not deterring a thing. But ultimately, and then after, on the last play, the dagger. Murray got blitzed, gave it a Jokic, four on three, lobbed it up to Aaron Gordon. And by the way, I've never in my life seen a center handle the ball in pick and roll with a big, like a big to big pick and roll. It's insane. I mean, two buckets on a lob to Gordon from Jokic. And obviously putting Towns in that pick and roll is a good idea, but wow. They got to switch that, but it's quick because Gordon slips and that pass is so on target. But the Nuggets take care of business. You didn't ex- I didn't expect two easy, easy games. So credit to the Wolves. They made it interesting. 122 to 113 is the final score. The Nuggets win by nine. They're the only team in the Western Conference to defend home court. And they take a 2-0 series lead. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm stupid. The Kings did too. And they take a 2-0 series lead against the Wolves. So half the teams winning their first two games. And half the teams splitting the first two games. The Nuggets outscored the Wolves 35-24 in the fourth. In my opinion, they just have better players. Let's read the lines. For the Wolves, they shot 50.6% of the game overall. It was a really high-scoring game. They only had 49 points though in the first half. But overall, they had 64 in the second half. 14 for 31 from three in the end, 45%, and also 82.6% from the line. So they shot well overall as a team. And then as the team, eight-man rotation both ways. 16 minutes for Jalen Noel. Didn't really do anything. Two points, one for five from the field, 0 for one from three. But I'm also looking at it from a Nuggets perspective. So if he was good defensively or something, you let me know, Wolves fans. I don't think I have any Wolves fans, though. But yeah, two points for him. 18 for Torian Prince, which was a real bummer because he was just in foul trouble. Overall, he was really good. 12 points, 4 for 8 from the field, and 3 for 6 from 3, and 1 for 2 from the line. So just like Jalen Brown, a 50-50-50 game for Torian Prince. And then the rest of the guys. 27 minutes from Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Just didn't think he was good enough offensively. 5 points, 1 for 5 from 3, 2 for 6 overall in 27 minutes. And then Kyle Anderson, a more quiet game for Kyle, but the stats wouldn't tell you that, but it was in my opinion. 10 points, 7 boards, 4 assists, and a steal. You didn't see the insane defensive Kyle Anderson that we've been seeing lately, just getting a lot of steals and blocks. 4 for 5 on the field, so still shot insanely efficiently. We're not 10, 7, and 4, but a little quieter for me from Kyle. 
They had six guys in double figures, Minnesota, but seven points from their seventh and eighth man. It's just not very good. Then the starters, besides Prince. Conley, 38 minutes, 14 points, seven assists, only one turnover. So just a typical Conley game. Five for nine from the field, two for four from three, two for three from the line. And then the big three for them. Carl Anthony Towns, he was better in the second half, but 10 points and 12 rebounds, it's not going to cut it. He hasn't been good enough in both, both games so far. Five fouls as well, and five turnovers. Five of the 14 turnovers for the Wolves came from, I'm sorry, 13 turnovers for the Wolves came from Cat. I mean, he has to be better. Let's see what he's averaging right now in this series. Let's see if they've even updated the stats, because I'm just like, this is just the most frustrating player in the league. I'm serious. Postseason, yes. Ten and a half points. Oh, my God. Ten and a half points. You better step it up, dude. Ten points, 12 rebounds. I will say this, though. He was playing good defense in the second half, protecting the rim. Ten points, 12 boards, a block, two assists, 25% shooting. Three for 12. Two for five from deep, though, 40%, but inside the arc. Because he wants to drive in from the top against quicker guys. He's so foolish. And then Gobert. Great defense. Offensively, he's so hard to watch. He can't catch the ball sometimes. He misses layups. There was a clear-cut layup at the end of the game he missed. 19 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. He has some good reads, actually, in the 4-on-3. 7 for 11 from the field. 5 for 6 from the line, so that was good. But, I mean, it's just... He was their second-leading scorer. The main man, 41 points tonight to lead all scorers. Anthony Edwards. 14 for 23 from the field, 6 for 10 from 3, and 7 for 8 from the line. 2 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 3 blocks. His defense was also exceptional, and only 1 turnover. He was just amazing. 42 minutes played for the Ant-Man, who's clearly the best player on this team. Really good game for him. Didn't get enough help from his second guy. Then the Nuggets, who shot 54% from the field and 45.5% from 3. Only 22 attempts, though, because they were really good in the in-between game. 80% from the line, too. Free throw disparity, only 2 more for Denver. Um, same amount of offensive rebounds, too, and the rebounding battle was only one difference as well. So pretty close there. And the Nuggets, 10 turnovers, Minnesota 13. So pretty even in the team stats category. Um, as far as the bench, Chris Christian Brown, two points on one for two shooting in seven minutes, but his defense was good. His lineup was good in the first half. Jeff Green, 26 minutes. He had a really good game. 11 points on five for seven shooting, and he made his only three. Nuggets had five players in double figures. Bruce Brown played 30 minutes, 6 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals. He was a plus 16, 3 for 7 from the field. I really like Bruce Brown as a role player. Um, just pretty athletic, good defense. He was 0 for 3 from deep, though, but 3 for 4 from inside the arc. A lot of those on fast breaks. And then, yeah, the bench of the Nuggets is not very good. That's an advantage the Clippers have, too. I'm telling you, man, I'm not as scared anymore. Then the starters. I may have to make a Locked On episode on that for the, for the people. For the as my friend Envy would say. MPJ, 29 minutes played. He had four fouls, so that limited him a bit. But in the fourth quarter, he had 13 points. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome. 16 points overall, six rebounds, five for seven from the field, and two for three from deep, four for five from the line. I mean, the guy, when he gets going, it's like he just hits everything, and he's so tall. Aaron Gordon, really solid performance from him. Also struggled with foul trouble, though, with five. He had a double-double, 12 points, 10 boards, 3 assists, no turnovers, 6 for 11 from the field, no 3-point attempts, just stayed in his lane, really liked it, having a career year, 33 minutes, Aaron Gordon, really good guarding Carl Anthony Towns, huge credit as to why he had such a poor game. KCP played 39 minutes and was 3 for 10, 
but only two three-point attempts. So the other shots, that's why he felt quiet to me. Didn't get many open threes. Uh, eight points, three rebounds, two assists, and a steal. He's going to shoot better. Um, he shot one or two bad shots, though, rushed. And then the two stars. Let's start with Jokic. 27-9-9, three turnovers. He was a plus six. 10 for 19 from the field. One for three from deep. Six for nine from the line. So, as I said, just, I don't think it was a great game for Jokic. I think, obviously, they don't win without him. He still played pretty well. I mean, he's an amazing passer. I mean, they run through him. And the pick and pop and pick and roll with Murray is not nearly as effective unless he's the guy. But, listen, I'll tell you what. As crazy as it sounds, uh, pick and pop with Murray and Thomas Bryant would also be hard to guard because you have to account for his jump shot. But, yeah, with Jokic, it's different. And Jokic obviously makes incredible plays. And he just puts a level of pressure on you. Um, that guy that, you know, other guys don't. He's one of the best players in the league. Maybe the, he's not the best to me. He's not better than Giannis because you can't abuse him on defense, Giannis. So he's top three, though, in my opinion. I'm, not, I'm letting you know right now, though, I'm being serious. If Embiid beats Boston, it, we're going to have to have a discussion because Embiid's defense is way better than Jokic's. Like, it's become way better. Embiid's gotten better at that every year. But I like Jokic's offense so much more because Embiid... I still think catching it at where he catches it is going to be problematic down the line. But right now, it's not been. He's dominating. So, in the playoffs so far, if, if you didn't know, if I didn't know shit about basketball, I would say Embiid's better. But I'm still going to give it to Jokic for now. Jokic still played pretty well, though. I mean, 10 for 19, 27-9-9, 2-0. Can't argue with that. But it's, he's going to play better teams. And first of all, the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to win a game because they're going to have a game where they hit from three like they did against OKC, and they're going to just get to the rim left and right. Murray, the player of the game, he was just a spectacular performance from him. 40 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals. He did turn the ball over 4 times, so 40% of the turnovers of the team came from Jamal. 13 for 22 from the field, insanely efficient. And 6 for 10 from 3, 8 for 9 from the line. In 39 minutes, he was just amazing. I'm so high on Jamal Murray. Obviously, I have PTSD from the bubble, but he was so good. The Wolves... Outscored the Nuggets 40-23 to in the third. As I said, the Nuggets overall 35-24 to in the fourth. When it won 22-113 and go up two games to nothing in a series in which I expected them to go up 2 nothing and lose. I'm sorry, and win in five. That's it for me tonight, guys. Oh, my God. Over an hour? Are you kidding? We're going to get no unique viewers, are we? But thanks so much for joining me. I did not think I was going to go till 2.40 in the morning. If you're on the East Coast watching me at 5 a.m., you're the GOAT. <laughs> but make sure you comment on this video, please, for the algorithms. The algorithms have been really good lately. We're gaining subscribers all the time. And let's just keep people coming, man, because I really am trying. Like, I only do this for you guys as well. Like, I would obviously watch the games myself, but to come and talk about every single one, I want to have receipts on, receipts on myself for my life. You know, just saying what I was saying in the moment. Go back to my playoffs last year. I have them all in playlists for you guys. My dream is to one day have a library of basketball on this channel. You can go to any era you want and see what happened from my lens, and you can make your own opinion. And that's why in the summer we're going to get really deep into the history and continue with the timeline. But make sure you comment on this video, please. It helps the algorithms. Follow on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. It's right there. It's been down there the whole time. And obviously on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, let me know what you thought. It's a five-star review. You already know the deal. Peace. Have a good night. We won't be live tomorrow, but I'll be talking about the games on Friday.